Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nick's World of Sports. My name is Nick Sapola. Thank you for tuning in. No Tuesday episode this week. Just kind of forgot about it, I think. Just a weird, hectic week with football. Monday night football is up late. I stayed up late. I was a little uh, out of it, to be honest. I was a little just sleepy in the morning. And then I just had stuff to do the last few days, just running around, applying for jobs, the whole nine yards, work, and kind of just lost track of the time. And But here we are. We're back for episode 51 of Nick's World of Sports, and we're going to be talking a lot of playoff football and a lot of headlines around the league, some stuff that just came out. Uh, Greg Roman will not be brought back by the... Ravens, the Ravens have parted ways with their OC, which a lot of people are saying is a good move, but I think he'll be right back in there with some team because Greg is very well known for being one of the best run scheme offensive coordinators in football. He made the whole Lamar read option offense work. Now the Ravens are in a market for an OC. That might be to appease Lamar, though, but at the same time, I think that was a move that needed to be done. Because I feel like a lot of the shortcomings this year for the Ravens wasn't on Harbaugh. It was a lot on Greg Roman. Because there were moments it just looked like he had no idea what to do. And there was a reason why a lot of wide receivers did not want to go play with Baltimore. But now there's a reason for these wideouts to go somewhere to go somewhere like Baltimore. A guy like a D-Hop or a Devontae Adams type, like a big-time top 10 receiver in a league would want to go play there besides Lamar Jackson. Another news, too, the um, – I don't know which Florida team I want to talk about first. I'll do, I'll do the Buccaneers first. Uh, the Buccaneers have parted ways with Byron Lefwich, a guy that was a shoe in for a coaching position a year ago, is now out of an offensive coordinator job like that. He will no longer – be considered for a head coaching job it looks like Leftwich has been there for four years he started with Jameis and he's going to end with Brady um I really don't have an opinion on this one I don't think Leftwich would have been a good head coach and I also don't think Leftwich was very good this year as a coordinator I think a lot of that was really just Bruce Arians to be honest with you Bruce Arians just did a lot for that team a lot has changed since Todd Bowles took over but I don't think Bulls is the answer at head coach either. They're probably going to give him some run, though, because they just made the playoffs. And it's never a good look when you're you know, a team like Tampa that's going to be rebuilding to fire your head coach right in the beginning of it. There, there's going to be a big rebuild in Tampa, and I'm going to expect a lot of guys to be moving on from the Buccaneers organization. And the last Florida team we're talking about before we get into some news besides GM hires, which obviously have been going on, the Texans got their guy. Not Texans. Uh, the Titans got their guy. The Miami Dolphins have fired their defensive coordinator. They will now be in the market for a DC this upcoming offseason. Who will it be? I have no clue. I don't even want to even think about the defensive coordinator market right now. Regardless, let's talk some playoff football. We had a great week of playoff football. There's only really two games that weren't exciting. But there were also... The rest of them, I think it was four exciting games, two kind of, ah, really? We got to watch these? We'll start with the uh, the most boring one to get that one out of the way. The Seahawks and their miracle run has ended. It ended in San Francisco where they lost 23-41 to to their division rival 49ers. Brock Purdy looked amazing. In his first playoff game, the kid was absolutely flourishing out there. Threw for, I believe it was 332 yards, three touchdowns. 18 to 30 isn't something that you're going to look twice at and be like, oh my God. But the yards and the touchdowns look amazing. Especially you're completing 18 passes for 332 yards. That means you're throwing the ball at a high rate. You're having high, a lot of yards after catch. Your, your completions are quantity it's not about the quality sometimes of completion it's about the quantity or the quality the quality excuse me it's the quality of your completions christian mccaffrey ran for 119 yards 
Debo Samuel had one of his best games of the year at the 133 yards receiving and a touchdown. I think he also had, I think it was 30 rushing yards as well to throw in there. So big day from Debo. Uh, Geno Smith had a nice game for the Seahawks. Two touchdowns and a pick on 253 yards. 25 of 35 passing. Geno this year led all quarterbacks in touchdown passes in the NFC. Excuse me, not all quarterbacks. He led all NFC quarterbacks in touchdown passes and led the entire NFL in completion percentage, was the top QB when it came to rate. Geno Smith, I think, has earned himself a spot to stay in Seattle. Will it be long? I don't think so. I think they'll give him two to three years at about 25 to 30 per. I think 25 a year for Geno after this past year is perfect. I think Geno is the type of quarterback that Pete Carroll has envisioned for this short re- well, this rebuild that has somehow become short. A lot of people wrote him off. He just didn't write back. Geno Smith had his best year of his career. He pretty much doubled his career numbers. What an awesome story it was. That was a big headline out of the NFL this year. It was Geno Smith. Kudos to you, Geno. That was awesome, awesome stuff you did this year. And I am very happy to say that I got to witness Geno Ball. K-9 had 15 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. My offensive rookie of the year finishes his year with a touchdown. And the OnlyFans merchant, DeKalen Metcalf, had a really nice game to end his year. 10 receptions, 136 yards, and two touchdowns. I believe him and Kenneth Walker were the only touchdown scorers in this game for the Seahawks. For the 49ers, Purdy had four total, including a rushing touchdown that he scored I believe that was fairly early, the second quarter. Was it second quarter? I'm trying to find it. No, it wasn't. It was the the third quarter. Brock Purdy rushed for a go-ahead touchdown to make it 23-17. Seattle was leading this game at half, and I I was getting nervous for all my 49ers people out there. I was at Del Fuego in St. James. Shout-out to them, by the way. Awesome place to go. If you want to get a quick bite to eat at the bar, a couple drinks, and watch a game, it was a great atmosphere. The place was busting at the seams, or bursting at the seams last week. Packed, but it's a good game to watch for the first half. I thought for sure, maybe after that first half, DK scored that long 50-yard touchdown pass on an absolute dime from Geno. I thought this game could be over right here, right now. Like, oh, crap, they're up. This could be... It You know, the Seahawks would come in here and pull off an upset, but just wasn't meant to be for the Seahawks. I think it was still a successful year for Seahawks football. Seattle had a very, very nice run, considering this is a team a lot of people thought wasn't going to win more than four or five games this year. They went out and won, what was it, 10, 9, 9 and 8? I mean, that was a good year, and you finished, and I mean, you're losing a wild card, so you technically finished 9-9, nine and nine, you're 500, and Geno Smith proved that he could play quarterback in this league, he proved he could be a starting quarterback in this league. Kudos to Geno Smith, and congratulations on a hell of a year. I look forward to seeing you back in Seattle for next season. Speaking of games that were boring in one half, but exciting in the other, Chargers and Jaguars. This is a game I might get a little bit emotional about. A little bit of context, too, to why I might be emotional about this. I was uh, perusing through the FanDuel Sportsbook app, and I was cooking up a absurd parlay for this game with a $5 free bet I had. It was obscene what I was cooking up. I was like Russ. I was like Chef Russ, but regardless, I cooked up. An absolute beautiful parlay on FanDuel. Jacksonville Moneyline, Christian Kirk anytime, Zay Jones anytime, Austin Eckler to score two touchdowns, T-Law over one and a half, and T-Law over 248 and a half passing yards. One and a half was the passing touchdowns. And then on DraftKings I did an odds boosted Christian Kirk anytime touchdown over in passing yards and Jags Moneyline. I won $1,000 betting on the Jacksonville Jaguars. One grand. $15 
between two apps. Ten of them out of my own bank account. A grand. Run me a check, boys. Give me a check. Need that band quick, ASAP. It's a good day. Now, that money is going to be invested back into this podcast in the future. But what a game this was. Here I was at Del Fuego still for the first half. I leave the bar before the end of the second quarter. This game's a blowout. It's, I believe it was 27 nothing. T-Law's first pass got tipped and picked. I'm like, all right, that's fine. No worries, no worries. Eckler scored his touchdown. Then T-Law threw another pick to Asante Samuel. And then they got a field goal. And then Eckler scored another touchdown off of a T-Law interception. Three. That's three in the first quarter. T-Law threw another interception in the second quarter, his fourth. They went down 24 to nothing before they even started to move the ball. 24 to nothing in the National Football League Super Wild Card round. Against a team without arguably its better offensive weapons. They didn't have Mike Williams. They did not have a deep threat in this one. Gerald Everett scored a freaking touchdown in this game. Like, are you kidding me? Austin Eckler had two touchdowns before the first quarter or the first half. No, not even. The first quarter was over. He had two touchdowns. This game looked like it was going to be a route. Two-minute drill starts. T-Law finds Evan Ingram for a nine-yard touchdown. 21-7 heading into halftime. I'm already back at Studio 38 at this point. I'm sitting down. I have the I have the TVs on in the studio. I'm watching. I'm saying to myself, no way. No freaking way they're going to come back in this. No matter who scores at this point, I just lost, you know, 15 bucks, whatever. I'm not. My pipe dreams are dead. Oh, Oh, how I was so, so wrong. Marvin Jones, six-yard touchdown catch in the middle of the third quarter after a lot of back-and-forth nothingness football. Six-yard reception makes it 27-14. to The Chargers did respond with a clutch 50-yard field goal from Cameron Dicker. However, Dicker would miss another field goal later on in this game, undoing his own clutch gene. And that's when the first big leg hit my parlay with a little time left in the third quarter, probably about 40-ish seconds. Zay Jones catches a 39-yard touchdown from T-Law. They failed the two-point conversion, but it's 30-20. to We got ourselves a game going into the fourth quarter, ladies and gentlemen, and that's where it happened. Trevor Ball happened. T-Law has not lost on a Saturday at any point in his career, whether that be high school, college, professional. He's never lost on Saturday. Guess what? We have ourselves a ball game halfway through the fourth. Christian Kirk is wide open in the end zone, and T-Law doesn't miss him. All I need at this point is Jags' money line. I'm freaking out. I'm like, holy hell. Holy crap. Two of my parlays are about to hit. Patterson misses a field not Patterson, excuse me, Dicker missed a field goal. There's a chance T-Law starts driving the boys up the field. They're driving, they're driving, fourth and inches. Looks like they're going to do a QB sneak. Doug Peterson, someone who I'm critical of, runs a play that looks like it's from 1940 that hasn't been used in almost 100 years. Hands it off to ETN for a huge gain. ETN had a big day too. That capped off a 20-carry, 109-yard over five-yard carry game for him. One of his best games as a pro. Evan Ingram, too, had seven for 93 and a touchdown. Trevor Lawrence finishes this game with 28 of 47 passing for 288 yards, four touchdowns and four picks, outduking his adversary, Justin Herbert. They set up a 36-yard field goal for Riley Patterson. And the kid drilled it. To give the Jags their first playoff win in almost 10 years. Actually, maybe sooner. I think it was five. Now I think about it. In almost five years back when they were in Saxonville. The first one they've had since the AFC Divisional game that let them go play Brady 
in New England that one year where they should have won that game, but some bullshit by ruling Miles Jack was not down cost them that game. Or ruling Miles Jack down when he wasn't. But the Jags get it done in spectacular fashion. Trevor Lawrence is quite literally him. That was one of the best quarterback second halves I've ever seen. The resilience on this kid. I can't talk enough about the resilience of Trevor Lawrence. The kid had absolute all-time stinker first half. People like even myself, I'm not a common fan. I know I'm not the common fan, but a lot of people who are the common fan probably just turn the game off. It's like, all right, uh, you know, what's going on in the Real Housewives of Atlanta right now? What drama are they doing? Or we're like, all right, uh, is Survivor on tonight? Um, oh, I wonder if they're showing that good South Park episode again. Stuff like that. They're not thinking to themselves, Trevor Lawrence has got this. Let him cook. I didn't even think that. When they went down 27 nothing. I'm like, it's the playoffs. It's game over. It's not over yet. Yada, yada, yada. Bam! The Jacksonville Jaguars just proved that they could compete with anyone. This is a Chargers team that on paper is a Super Bowl roster. That's a, That roster screams Super Bowl to me. On both sides of the ball, they have superstars. And one that was just born in Asante Samuel Jr. in this one. He had his little coming out party spoiled by this game. The kid had three interceptions in the first half. I think it's the most ever in a playoff game by one player. Asante Samuel Jr. is going to be a star in this league alongside Bryce Callahan for the Chargers. I don't know what the hell it was. I don't know how Jacksonville clawed their way back in, stayed resilient after going down like that. We've seen a lot of crazy comebacks this year in the NFL, but I didn't think I'd see something like this in the playoffs, especially from Jacksonville. However, Trevor Lawrence is slowly, slowly, but surely becoming a top five quarterback in this league. I put him over Herbert, not just because of the playoff win, it's because, dude, the way this kid just played, you can't tell me he's not top five. Or he's not at least top six. If I had to start a franchise with a quarterback who's under 25 right now, or under, let's say, like with... In the last three draft classes, maybe four if we count this one. Uh, the last three draft classes, counting this one, if I had to take one quarterback to start my franchise with, it'd be Trevor Lawrence. Even after last year, I would have picked Trevor Lawrence. The can't-miss quarterback is looking like a can't-miss quarterback. He's looking like the second coming of Peyton, like everyone predicted he would be. He's got a tall task this week, and he's got to go to Arrowhead and take on a juggernaut Kansas City team with the best quarterback in football on their roster, the MVP of the league. Okay. Tough task. But we'll see what happens. I think Trevor Lawrence will make that game close. I think this Jags team is better than we expected. Christian Kirk had a career year. Zay Jones is a perfect complement to Marvin Jones and to Christian Kirk. Evan Engram's having a career bounce back. A bit of a resurgence bandwagon going on there. The Chargers, a lot to be talked about. Chargers, 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 Chargers. I called it. I straight up fucking called it. I knew you guys were frauds from the minute the season started. Not because of talent, because of one reason. Brandon Staley. Not Joe Lombardi. He's been ushered out already. And... I don't blame them for ushering out Joe Lombardi because he's not a good OC. Brandon Staley's the real problem with this organization. Dean Spanos is a problem on his own, and he's one of the worst owners in football, and he could go piss off. But I have a real problem with Brandon Staley. Number one, he just flat out doesn't know situational football. You ran the ball like ten freaking times. I get it, you have Austin Eckler, but Austin Eckler is not an elite running back. But regardless, he'll kill the clock for you. He's not elite in the sense of he's not a good runner. He's not someone like a Nick Chubb or I don't know who else I could say, like a a good running back in that aspect. Like a Saquon. He's not that kind of running back. He's the kind of running back you pass the ball to he runs the ball he does everything he's a swiss army knife he's like camara however i still would have started turning around and handing the ball off to him or joshua kelly earlier you're up 27 to nothing the name of the game here is clock management chew the damn clock 
Stop running the fancy damn trick plays and run the ball. He's acting like it's freaking Madden 23 out here where the meta is pass, 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 pass. Run the ball. God, I could have told you that. I always say there's no way I could be a GM. There's no way I could be a coach. I could coach the freaking Chargers better than Brandon Staley. This guy sucks. And I, I can safely say this, too. And I know there's some terrible head coaches that have been in the playoffs this year. Brandon Staley is by far the worst head coach in the NFL that has made the playoffs this year. He was the worst coach remaining. Harbaugh, I think, is a significantly better coach, and he's always shit on. At least Harbaugh knows how to win, and he does what's best for his team, and he knows how to run a clock. Don't Except for those two timeouts this weekend, but whatever. That game was a pipe dream that they were even in it. You're up 30 to freaking 14 at one point. You got your field goal. You got your gravy points. Run the ball. Jesus, dude, you suck. The other thing, too, the overly aggressive always going for it on fourth downs, no matter what kind of bullshit, has to stop. It has to stop. You cost your team games doing that. You let up points for that. I know it wasn't in the playoff game, but there was games in the regular season. Let's say it's fourth and 12 inside your own 30. You just emotionally like, oh, shit, we just missed a play that should have been caught for a deep ball. Go for it. No, don't go for it. Make the smart play and punt it away. You don't have to be over-aggressive. I like aggressiveness on fourth and two. Fourth and four even is probably a good spot to be aggressive. Fourth and five if you're in the right ter- – over fourth and five inside like their territory, let's say inside their 15. I'm all for it. You got to learn when you should go for fourth and when you shouldn't go for it on fourth. I don't get it. It's taken this guy two years and he still hasn't learned his lessons. And there's one thing that should be absolutely a, a fireable offense. One big thing. Week 18. They have nothing to play for week 18. They are locked into their fifth seed. They can't go up and they can't go down. What does Brandon Staley do? He plays all his players. He plays every single starter. And he pays for it. They're newly, richly paid, handsomely paid, whatever you want to call it, wide receiver that probably should have went elsewhere in the offseason, had a career year, one of the best contract years in NFL history. Mike Williams is out there playing week 18, gets a fracture in his back, is out three to six weeks, potentially the whole postseason. You're going to go into Jacksonville, a team that is on fire, surging, scorching hot, one of the hottest teams in football, a favorite underdog of this league, a team a lot of people expected to not just lay down and go down easy to the Chargers. They're going in there without their deep threat weapon. And Joe Lombardi and Brandon Staley are only going to run curls. And you have the best deep arm quarterback in football that isn't named Allen or Mahomes. Kid's got a rocket arm and can complete any ball. And you're telling me this kid's not going to be throwing the ball deep to his best deep target? Because... Oh, wait, we played him last week in week 18, but we couldn't do anything about it. Oh, shoot, he broke his back. Oh, I wonder whose fault that is. Brandon Staley. Dude, you suck. You can't be doing this at a professional level. You probably couldn't even coach a college program. Take your faux knowledgeable Fake-ass Sean McVay, I'm smarter than everyone routine to a Division I AA school, you pussy. I'm done with you. I hope to God you're not back next year. And if you are, I'm just going to clown you more. Every week. Every week. I'm going to be making fun of you and saying every little critical mistake that you make, I'm putting you on blast for it because you deserve it. You make me sick. This team should not be a first-round exit. This is a team that should be up there with Kansas City, competing with them. You should have been competing for the one seed, not for the six seed or the five seed. You should be competing for the damn division with this roster, 10-7 and seven on the year. I, I like the Lombardi firing, but you have to fire Brandon Staley, a team with that has an offense that consists of Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, and a career year from Josh Palmer, 
That's a team that should be that is on paper. That offense is better than Kansas City's on paper. Hell, I'll even throw Gerald Everett in there, who had a good game in this one. Gerald Everett had eight six receptions for 109 yards and a touchdown. I'll throw him in there too. How do you not win with this offense? And on the defensive side of the ball, there's no lack of talent there. Oh, you only have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. That is one of the best edge threat duos in football. You also have that kid Murphy who's pretty good, or Murray, Kenneth Murray. He's really good. You also have Asante Samuel Jr. who set a playoff record in this game. Oh, nothing big there. Nothing big there. Cowboys should have picked him, by the way. And then you also have one of the best safeties in all of football in Derwin James. You just got Bryce Callahan. And unfortunately this year you lost J.C. Jackson to a significant injury down the stretch. But that's not on Brandon Staley. That's unfortunate. But this team, even without J.C. Jackson on defense, is so good. And this is no knock on the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars are a very underrated team. And they have a very good chance at knocking off Kansas City. Will they? I don't think so. But I think the blame has to go on Staley here. I'm being repetitive now and I'm going to move on. I I have to. Skylar Thompson and the Dolphins marched in to Orchard Park to take on the Bills, and they nearly pulled off the upset. This was another crazy game. Buffalo jumped out to a 17-0 lead in the second quarter before 10-minute mark in the second quarter. Dawson Knox scored a touchdown from Josh Allen. James Cook scored a touchdown run, and Tyler Bass drilled a field goal. It was looking like it was all Bills in this one. Jalen Waddell had a couple key drops early on. One ball that was an easy touchdown on one of the first possessions they had. Just bonked off his shoulder pads. He had another ball that was thrown a little bit behind him where he had Tredavious White burnt. But it was underthrown by Skylar Thompson. However, the Dolphins just didn't say die. Their defense showed up in ways that I didn't even think they would. And this is a very good defense on paper. Three Jason Sanders field goals, and then a Mike Gesicki touchdown with 33 seconds to go, tied the game before, right before half, or so we thought. Tyler Bass kicks a 39 field goal, 39-yard field goal, four seconds left on a crazy drive led by Josh Allen to give Buffalo a 20-17 to lead at half. Scary stuff here. First play of the half, there was a big problem with Josh Allen in this one, turnovers. He threw a couple of silly interceptions in this one, and then he fumbles on the first drive. Inside his own 10, he fumbles, and it's picked up by Jack by Zach Sealer, and he scores a five-yard fumble return to make it 24-20 Miami. Skylar Thompson then had his rookie moment where he, instead of just throwing the ball away, tries to be a hero inside his own 20. He tries to unload the deep ball. He underthrows, I believe it was Tyree Kill on this one, and is intercepted by Teron Johnson. I think it was Johnson, right? Was it? Number seven? Whoever it is. I think it was picked off by him or Tredavious White. One of those two picks it off. And it leads to a Cole Beasley six-yard touchdown reception. Then the next drive, Gabe Davis scores a 23-yard strike. It's 24-34. Jeff Wilson gets the Dolphins back in it with a 31-34. But he has a one-yard run to make a 31-34. But it's too little, too late. Buffalo runs out the clock. And Miami goes home empty-handed. If you're going to tell me Skylar Thompson was going to throw for 220 yards and a touchdown in this one, and the Dolphins scored 31 points in a game where Skylar Thompson played, I would have said sign me up for that every day of the week. Josh Allen looked reckless with the ball. He didn't look like he was playing smart. He was trying to just nonstop play hero ball, and it cost him. It cost him a lot of points as Miami took advantage of almost every single turnover, if not every. Granted, the Bills also, in return, took care of every single Miami mistake, including Miami fourth and one a bunch of times, had fourth downs and convertible, and easily convertible, and they just... Didn't have any clock awareness. It comes with inexperience. Mike McDaniel didn't have his best game as a coach when it came to time management. However, he had one of his better games where he had a guy like Skyler go into Buffalo and he looked competent. Very competent. I like what I saw, 
But you got to think as a Dolphins fans, you got you got to be sick to your stomach knowing you had these guys at home. It also makes you sick to your stomach knowing you didn't have Tua or even Teddy Bridgewater. It makes me sick to think that Tua wasn't available for this one. I think if for me to properly evaluate this game, I would have loved to have seen Tua get a shot to play in this one. He's going to be the starter next year, so we'll reevaluate. But I'm sick that Tua Tagovailoa did not get to play in the playoffs. And I think it's a completely different game if he plays. And, hey, I think Miami walked out of there with a W if you have Tua. But then again, that's a big what if. And we're not here going to do a whole Mythbusters thing where we go sit down and try and figure it out. Moving on. The Giants get a huge win. A huge win against the Minnesota Vikings. 31-24. Danny Jones with the best game of his career. Danny Jones had 301 passing yards and two touchdowns, including a touchdown strike to Daniel Bellinger to put the game, to make it a 10-point game, and an Isaiah Hodgins touchdown in the first quarter to make it 14-7. Saquon Barkley had a rushing touchdown to make it 31-24 to put the game out of reach with 7.47 to go, or I should say go-ahead touchdown. Daniel Jones also was the leading rusher, 17 carries for 78 yards. Isaiah Hodgins, 100-yard receiving day. Awesome stuff from the New York Giants. Kirk Cousins, however, had a very efficient game at 31-39 for 273 and two touchdowns. And TJ Hawkinson had a career day, 10 catches, 129 yards, did not have a touchdown. K.J. Osborne and Irv Smith were the touchdown scorers outside of Kirk Cousins, who also had a rushing. It was a crazy game, just like it was back in week 14 or 16, 15, 16, whatever it was. It's a sad day for my Vikings fans. I thought for sure they would waltz out of here with a win somehow. Just wasn't meant to be. Danny Jones had the best game of his career by far. This was the game where I sat down and I was like, you know what? Danny Jones might have been worth a first-round pick. I'm not even kidding when I say that. I think this year he's been very good. And he's proven he could be a starter in this league. Will he be the long-term answer in New York? That's something to find out next year and see how he plays. But he played like the answer on Sunday night or Saturday night. No, Sunday. Excuse me. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. He looked like the answer on Sunday for sure. Giants fans should be looking forward to their matchup against Philadelphia. The statistics tends to favor the team the third time around they play just because you know them. And you've seen their starters twice where they've only seen your starters once. So we'll see what happens. It's time for us to find out. All right, last two games. The Bengals survive. I can't believe I'm saying this. The Bengals survive. Baltimore had the game potentially won twice. But the Bengals don't say die. And they survive on some clutch play, especially from Sam Hubbard. To give the team a 24-17 victory. It looked promising early on for Bengals fans who were expecting a route. Myself included expected a route. Evan McPherson drilled a 39-yard field goal. And then Jamar Chase grittied his way for a 7-yard touchdown to make it 9-0 as McPherson missed the PAT. And that's when the Ravens turned it on. J.K. Dobbins, 2-yard rush. Or 2-yard pass from Tyler Huntley. 7-9. Then with seven seconds left in the first half, Justin Tucker, Mr. Automatic, drills a 22-yard field goal. He's not going to miss those. Those are layups. 10-9. That's when it got a little interesting. We saw some ugly football for about 10 minutes, and then Joe Burrow decided to punch in a one-yard run. And then a Joe Burrow passed to T. Higgins for two points, made it 17-10. Then Tyler Huntley connected on a deep bomb to Demarcus Robinson for 41 yards to make it a 17-all game. That's where it got interesting. Fourth quarter, Tyler Huntley's leading a drive. Somehow, he's driving the ball. They're at the two-yard line. Greg Roman calls a quarterback sneak. Huntley, instead of just trying to fall forward and get the yards, tries to jump over the pile, and the ball is knocked out of his grasp, and it falls into the Cincinnati kids' hands. Sam Hubbard, the now hero of Cincinnati, the hometown hero, picks up the fumble 
and runs all the way to the skyline's chili that's waiting on the other side of the end zone for him. He scores 98 yards for a touchdown. The big boy taking it to the house, outrunning everybody on the field. I thought it was awesome, the camera shots, where you see Tyler Huntley throwing his hands up like, that's a touchdown, that's a touchdown, that's six. And it wasn't six. It was just so funny to me. I digress. Tyler Huntley was 17 to 29 for 226, two touchdowns and a pick and a fumble. He, I think, outplayed Joe Burrow, who was 23 of 32 for 209 and a touchdown. Jamar Chase had a nice game, 9 for 84 and a touchdown. Joe Mixon did not have a good game, 11 carries for 39 yards. You don't expect that out of a guy like him. Baltimore had a 67% win chance when they lined up inside of the two. And then after the Sam Hubbard fumble, an extra point, Cincinnati jumped to an 80% win chance. Baltimore did have a chance. It was going down the field. Huntley led them pretty far. And unfortunately for them, on the last drive of the game, fourth and 20 with eight seconds left, Tyler Huntley unloads a Hail Mary into the end zone. It hits one receiver's hands, and then a tip comes in and out of number three on their team's hands. Just, just dropped it. It was so freaking close. I believe that was... I'm trying to find who it was. Was it... No, it's not. It wasn't Sammy either, right? It wasn't Sammy Watkins. I want to say it's Demarcus Robinson, if I'm not mistaken. No. I couldn't tell you then who it was who dropped that ball. Number three. I don't know his name right now. It slips my mind. Sad way to go out. Lamar... If, if Lamar plays, they win. And that goes back to my rants for the last few. What are the Ravens going to do? I personally think they should just tag him. You have to. You're not going to pay a guy who's played like 15 games since last year. That's not even a full season, Lamar. You can't get paid that kind of money. I know you seek a Deshaun deal. And do I think Deshaun should have got that deal? Absolutely not. But however, Cleveland is stupid, and they're going to do anything absolutely asinine and unheard of for their franchise. Jimmy Haslam thinks he's Jerry Jones, but he can't spend like Jerry Jones because he doesn't know how to spend like Jerry Jones. Spending stupidly isn't going to do you anything, and I think the Ravens don't want to spend stupidly. They're a smart franchise, and they are very well run. Lamar can bitch and moan all he wants, but here's my message to you. If they franchise tag you, take it. That's a lot of money for one year to play football. That is a lot. It's like 30-something million dollars you'll get. Over $35 million probably. Take that tag and prove to the Ravens that, one, you can stay healthy, and, two, that you can perform at your MVP level again. You were performing at that level until you got hurt this year. Keep performing at that level, Lamar. You perform at that level for a full season, you will get paid more than Deshaun, more than Dak. More than anyone not named Patrick Mahomes. That's how much you'll get made. You'll get paid. Prove it. Put up or shut up time, Lamar. That's all I'm going to say. Your prove it year went to waste because of an injury, and that's out of your control. But what is in your control is how you perform next year. Let's see it, kid. Let's see it. The last game on the docket. The Dallas Cowboys. Went into Tampa Bay on Monday night and potentially retired the so-called GOAT. 31-14, the Dallas Cowboys ran. They bodied, romped on, stomped him out of the club, had him absolutely flabbergasted down in Tampa Bay. They were up 31-6. to 24 to nothing in the third quarter. A lot of positives from the Dallas fo- Dallas Cowboys here. That football team looked really good. A lot of good. Micah Parsons got his lick back on playoff Lenny, or should I say layoff Lenny, or laid off Lenny. Tom Brady's stats were extremely inflated. Don't be fooled by 351 yards. A lot of it came in garbage time, deking and dunking his way to touchdowns. The only good throw I saw Brady make that whole game was that 30-yard touchdown pass to Julio Jones. 
Outside of that, Tom Brady looked terrible. He looked lost. Him and Mike Evans were not on the same page whatsoever. He just looked he looked like a 45-year-old trying to play football. He was under duress the whole night, too, as Micah Parsons was an animal. He was all over the field. J. Ron Curse picked off Brady for the first time in the red zone since 2019. Dak, despite a slow two first drives from Dak, he came out firing his third drive. Finds Dalton Schultz for a 22-yard touchdown. Found Michael Gallup for a big play on that drive. Absolutely slinging it. He then has a clutch drive in the second quarter. They get the ball back after the J. Ron Curse interception. They drive 80 yards down the field. Fourth down in inches. Dak Prescott pulls up Peyton Manning, has everyone fooled, fakes the handoff, and is is found scampering into the end zone for a touchdown to make it 12-0. Why do I say 12-0? Brett Maher misses two extra points in a row. Not a good start for him, but a good start for the Cowboys. They get the ball back, and they get inside the two-minute drill. Dak Prescott, wheeling and dealing. Probably the best throw I've ever seen across his body, running out of bounds. Finds Dalton Schultz again in the end zone for his second touchdown. Brett Maher misses another extra point. 18-0 heading into half, where it could be 21-0. Regardless, that's a three-score game. You're still very happy heading into the locker room. Third quarter. Tampa Bay goes three and out on their first drive. Then Dak Prescott once again finds a wide open receiver. And, ah, I shouldn't say wide open, but he finds a receiver in the end zone with 10-04 in the third quarter. He finds Michael Gallup, who had a very nice game, one of his better games all year. Finds him t- tight roping his way into the end zone for a touchdown to make it a 24 to nothing game. Why do I say 24? Brett Maher misses another extra point. Bonks it off of the far post. Go for two. But regardless, Dallas is still up 24 to nothing. Tampa Bay makes it interesting at the end of the third with a Julio Jones 30-yard touchdown pass from Tom Brady. The two-point conversion fails, so not a single extra point was converted in this one until the fourth quarter with 10 minutes left. It's fourth down and two. They're inside the Tampa Bay territory. It's a big-time play, and they throw it to number 88 for a touchdown. No challenge flags needed, no controversies, no did he catch it, did he not. A wide-open C.D. Lamb waltzes into the end zone for an easy touchdown to give Dallas a 31-6 lead, locking up the game. Brady gets a pity touchdown drive here. In the fourth quarter, two minutes left, he finds Cameron Brayton in the end zone, then throws to Mike Evans for a two-point conversion. They do recover an onside kick because of Noah Brown's, I should say, incompetence, but uh, he really didn't do anything bad besides that. He dropped the onside kick. It was picked up by Tampa inside of two minutes. Your boy wasn't worried. I knew they weren't going to do anything with it, and I knew that they would have to do another onside kick, all that stuff. Dallas looked very good. Dak Prescott showed up the haters. Dak Prescott said, watch this, 305 yards, 25 of 33, four touchdowns, five total touchdowns, no turnovers. Tony Pollard, 15 carries, 77 yards. Awesome game from him. Dalton Schultz with the best game of his career, seven catches, 95 yards, and two touchdowns in a playoff game. Tampa Bay had no run game. Playoff Lenny looks like he's about to be laid off Lenny. Lay that man off. Woo! Rashad White, seven carries for 41 yards. Only Tampa Bay Buccaneer in a run game that showed up. Tom Brady, 35 of 66. If we do that math real quick. If we do it real quick. He completed 53% of his passes in this one. That's not good. That is not a good percentage from someone who's supposed to be the GOAT. He threw an interception in this one. Nearly had another one. Nearly had a bunch, actually. Micah was getting his hands active in the passing game. So was Curse. That Cowboy defense looked awesome. It looked revived with the returns of Jonathan Hankins and Leighton Vanderesh. The O-line for the Cowboys looked good, too, as they went originally with Jason Peters out there at, ta- at, go- at tackle alongside Tyron Smith at the other tackle spot. And then they had Tyler Smith at guard, Zach Martin at guard, and Tyler Biotish at center. He was back. 
and they were going to roll with Connor McGovern out of the backfield as their fullback, an extra blocker, which sometimes they use, and it works out. Then, unfortunately, Jason Peters got hurt. He didn't practice today. Today's Thursday. He's not practicing. We don't know if he's going to be able to go Sunday, which stinks because I do really like the bodyguard out there. That is Jason Peters. The 40-year-old has been playing very well this year. I think he gets another run with the Cowboys if he wants to play again at age 41. Sometimes linemen are ageless wonders like him, where he doesn't play a lot of games. He'll play when he's needed. He could be a swing tackler, a swing guard. Maybe we'll see. But then they kicked Tyler Smith out to tackle again, where he's been playing well all year. And they brought McGovern in at guard. Good stuff. The Cowboys looked very good in this one. I will say this. Tampa Bay looked horrible. And I knew it. Everyone that was taking Tampa Bay money line, fine God. I'm not saying that just as a Cowboys fan. I would have never have taken it. As much of a trap game this did look like on the outside looking in, we knew. Tampa Bay was not the same team as they were week one, and they're not going to be the same team as they're not able to beat up on Carolina or they're not going to be able to beat up on fraudulent franchises that have nothing to play for or crappy rebuilding teams within their own division. Dallas looked like a real team here. They looked very good. Their next matchup, Brock Purdy and the Niners. I'm nervous. I'm very nervous for my boys. I think this is a game that's going to be very interesting to think about. And also, this was the Dak Prescott legacy game. The next game, too, could continue to be the Dak Prescott legacy game. Let's see if the kid can go on a little run here, huh? We'll see. We'll see how the Cowboys fare in their revenge game against the 49ers. And we'll get into those games next. But before we move on, I want to talk a little bit about the Buccaneers and what's next. They don't have a quarterback next year. Gabbert's a free agent. He hasn't started a game since 2018. Brady's a free agent, and I think he should just straight up retire. Tom Brady and your fanboys, if you're listening, I want to put this message out on the air. And this is not a scripted take. This is something I've been wanting to share for months. You fucked up. You fucked up. You could have went out. You know, they went on a division round last year to the eventual Super Bowl champion Rams. You could have went out like that in a hard-fought playoff matchup. A year after a lot of turmoil within the Buccaneers organization, Antonio Brown walks out. Bruce Arians is on his way out. He steps down. A lot of turmoil there, and you retired. You should have just stayed there. You could have lived your life. You didn't have to worry about all the negative takes. You wouldn't have to worry about all the BS, the potential fall off, this, that. You could have rode off into the sunset after a 5,000-yard season, and you could have been retired. You could have been enjoying this in the booth for Fox. However, you let your pride get in the way. And said, I can win another Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? I'm Tom Brady. And you just lost to the Dallas Cowboys. A team that you have owned and you on record have said you've owned. If you know it's best for you, Tom, don't play anywhere next year. Teams that are interested, I believe, are Tennessee. The Niners potentially is more Tom Brady's interested in because he's from California. And the last team that is interested in him, the Raiders. Why? Because Josh McDaniels is going to be there. And the Raiders are making the worst decision they can make by trading away Derek Carr, who is a franchise-level quarterback. And we've talked about this on the damn podcast before. They should not be trading him away to entertain, to appease a shithead coach in the NFL, a bottom-two NFL head coach currently, to appease him with his old buddy Tom Brady so Brady can play quarterback and they can go 3-14 and 14 together. Waste away that whole pro, that whole team. That Raiders team was a dark horse for the Super Bowl on paper this year. Say I'm crazy if you want. But that team on paper has one of the best rosters in football. That whole AFC West had the best rosters in football. I thought that was a team that could have snuck away with the division. But Josh McDaniels' terrible coaching forced Derek Carr out. And now he's going to get his little butt buddy in Brady potentially. Here's my fl- thing for you Raiders fans. I wouldn't want Brady. If I'm Tom Brady too... I don't want to play another year. I just got embarrassed in a divisional round. And you're going to tell me I'm going to go have another season where I have a losing record again and I'm not even going to sniff the playoffs in the AFC AFC West? I have to deal with Mahomes. I have to deal with 
Herbert. I got to deal with a revived Russell Wilson next year. Good luck. Good luck. Retire while you can and save your legacy because you're going to start playing yourself out of the GOAT conversation potentially. I don't care about the counting stats. The guy looks horrible out there. He can't throw the ball anymore. He looks done. I'm going to say it right now. Tom Brady is D-O-N-E done, done, done in the NFL. And if he plays next year, he's throwing for 3,000 yards. Unless they're going to force feed him to throw 70 balls a game so then he'll have his precious 4,500-yard season. I may sound like a hater, but I'm also a voice of reason here. We don't want to see a 46-year-old Tom Brady. It's time for someone else to have a turn, Tommy. And your time is up. Give up the torch. Also here with Tampa Bay, I want to mention, Mike Evans was running his mouth this week saying, Cowboys fans are all bland. They're all the same. All this and that. The Cowboys aren't anything special. Guess what? Let me read some stats to you, Mike Evans. How's this sound for you? Six catches. That's it. Six catches, 74 yards. And a lot of that came in garbage time. You were non-existent in the first half. You dropped a touchdown pass, too. You did nothing. You did a lot more, though, than your other buddy, Lay off Lenny. Laid off Lenny. Lay off the junk food Lenny. Someone who's about to get laid off this offseason. Five carries for 11 yards. Talking all that shit to Micah Parsons week one about, oh, he's a bitch. He's a bitch. I laid him out. Micah lit you up in the hole. Micah tackled you behind the line. Micah made you look silly in pass protection as he ran you over. You were wearing that playoff Lenny sweatshirt with the snakeskin on it. You thought you were all hard. You thought you were him. No. You're not. You can't be doing that. You're no playoff performer if you're going out there two yards a carry. Get the hell out of here. You're done. You're done, dude. Rashad White's younger. He looks better. He's faster. He looks like he's going to be the future feature back. This year you ran for 668 yards in the regular season. And the postseason you ran for 11. You didn't even break 700 yards counting the playoffs. You averaged three and a half yards a carry. You were on Najee Harris levels of bad. The difference was Najee was getting force-fed carries like Brady was force-fed to throw the ball. I am so happy this Buccaneers team is not going to be moving on in divisional round. We could stop hearing about Tom Brady. We could stop hearing about the fraudulence of this team. We could stop hearing about it, and I'm happy. I'm happy about it. We are going to do now a quick, quick rundown of the games this week. And if we have time, we'll do... I know we did quarterbacks last time. We'll do our top 10 running backs in the NFL. If not, we'll leave it to the to the next week. Because there's going to be no episode Saturday. We'll do Tuesday, Thursday next week. And that'll be that. This upcoming week is full of exciting matchups. The first one that's going to be up is the 430 game on Saturday where the Jacksonville Jaguars will trot all the way over to Kansas City, Missouri. Kind of weird, it's in Missouri. They'll try it all the way to the middle of the country to take on Kansas City in one of the most hostile and loudest environments in Arrowhead. Dan Arvlosky believes the Jaguars can beat the Chiefs. I'm not too much of a believer on this. I will say this, however. No McCole Hardman. No Clyde Edwards-Alaire for Kansas City. This game's going to be close. Caesars has the line at Kansas City minus eight and a half. But I think if you took Jags' money line at plus 360 and the spread at plus eight and a half, if you took Jags' money line and they win, great for you. But I would take eight and a half spread just because I think this is going to be a one score game. Again, everyone thought I was crazy last week for saying Jacksonville, no question, would win against the. Uh, 
the Chargers. I think Jacksonville has a legitimate shot in this one. Will they win? I don't think so. I don't think so. Will it be close? I think it's a four-point game. My personal spread is four and a half, and I would still like Jacksonville to cover four and a half. I think it's going to be a bit more high-scoring as Kansas Kansas City's defense has been a bit Mickey over the past few years, despite some developing talents in Matt Karloftis and Legereus Sneed and Willie Gay. I just don't see it. I don't see them being. I don't see them routing the Jacksonville Jaguars. I could see Jacksonville being competitive, but I think their magical ride ends here too. The Giants will march into probably the crappiest setting in all of football, the link in Philadelphia to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I like the New York Giants in this one. Oh, that sickens me to say that. Oh, oh, this is like two evils, and I can't believe I'm saying that I want a team that's 9-7-1 to knock off the number one seed. But I think it's very possible. They've seen him twice. They've seen their starters twice. Jalen Hurts is obviously hurt. And he looked terrible in week 18. Granted, it's week 18, and the only thing they were really playing for was positioning. He still looked horrible. I'm telling you right now, Jalen Hurts is going to go out there, and he's going to lay an egg. An egg to end all eggs. That's what Jalen Hurts is going to do. All right? He's what you're going to go and do. Daniel Jones is going to play ugly football, too. However, the coaching prowess of Dable is going to make this team look better. I think we have a one-score game here. The line is Philadelphia 7.5. I think the Giants are going to win by a field goal and advance to the NFC Championship game. Sunday, 3 o'clock. The Bengals will take on the Bills. And a cruel twist of fate for the Bengals... They got to go on the road and play against those said Bills in Orchard Park, where this game easily, easily could have been in Cincinnati. Why is it in Cincinnati? The DeMar Hamlin situation. They didn't get to finish that game, which, again, I think was the right move. They didn't get to finish it, but seeding got messed up. They got to go to have a rematch against the Bills. Cincinnati might be playing with a little bit of fuck you in this one because... Of course they're going to be mad. I'd be mad too if we didn't get a chance at the one seed because of this game. Because of that game in week 17. The Bills and the Bengals will be playing. The Bills are five and a half point favorites, and I'm going to call bullshit on that. Once again, I'm taking for someone to cover, and that's the Bengals, and I think this game's not even going to be close. Give me Cincinnati by 10. I am that confident in the Bengals. This defense looked a little Mickey over the weekend against the Dolphins. They also, the offense, I just don't buy it. I think, I know the Bengals are going to be without key pieces on the O-line, but I don't buy it that Josh Allen can be safe with the ball. He hasn't looked safe all year. He's been, he leads the league in turnovers, counting fumbles and everything. I believe he led the league in turnovers. Not a good sign from your franchise quarterback. Granted, Josh Allen also scores almost every other time he touches the ball if he's not turning it over. So it's kind of one hand washes the other. I like the Bengals in this one, and I believe they'll go into the AFC Championship with a little bit of swagger against Kansas City. And last but not least, my Dallas Cowboys play the last game of the week again against the Niners. The Niners are four-point favorites at home in Santa Clara. As now, I should say the Santa Clara 49ers instead of the San Francisco 49ers. Brock Purdy's looked very good, but I think his, his run's got to end somewhere, right? Am I right? I mean, the Cowboys have a legitimate defense, which you didn't really see this week because, let's be real, a 30-something-year-old Bruce Irvin is a shell of himself. That's the best pass rusher on the Seahawks. I don't buy it. The whole team needed some help outside of Tariq Wool in there. I think the Seahawks need some defense. The Cowboys have a defense, and they pose an interesting challenge to the Niners. I said the Niners were my pick for the NFC if I was thinking logically. But don't sleep on the Cowboys right here. I think this is a good matchup for both teams. 
Cowboys are riding the highest of highs on their season after that win in Tampa Bay. And the 49ers continue to chug along with that offense that is full of weapons everywhere. You got Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, even Juszczyk, Eliza Mitchell, Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy. How are they going to kill you? That's basically how, not when or if. It's how are they going to kill you. It's not can they, it's how. This team is disgusting on offense. Defensively, Nick Bosa, potential defensive player of the year. I think this matchup between him and Parsons will kind of decide Depoy if it hasn't if it hasn't been decided already. You also have one thing that is lacking, the secondaries on both teams. There's one elite cornerback, and that's Trayvon Diggs. There's some elite safety play by the Cowboys. You have an underrated safety in Donovan Wilson, the revived Malik Hooker, and J. Ron Curse has been playing at a Pro Bowl level for two years now when he's healthy. Deron Bland will be in there. He looked good. Israel Mukamu or Mukwamu looked very good in his play. I also think that Xavier Rhodes didn't look terrible. I digress, though. I don't see a lot there in the secondary for the Niners, but that's if they, uh, you know, they have Hufanga out there who plays box safety. This is an interesting matchup. Obviously, I like my own team here, but I'm not going to say a score or anything. I think the Cowboys could pull this off, and we could see an NFC East matchup for the NFC Championship. But that's a pipe dream right now. I think they could pull it off if everything goes their way. The matchup predictor does favor the Cowboys, according to ESPN Analytics. Caesars thinks it's a four-and-a-half spread or a four-flat spread favoring San Francisco. I'm not going to be a betting man. I'm not a betting man on this game. That's all I got to say. All right, that's going to do it for us here in Studio 38. I hope you had a wonderful day. I hope you're having a wonderful Thursday or Friday, and I hope you have a great weekend of watching playoff games. I sure will. And we'll catch you on the next episode. I can't wait to be talking NFC Championship football. Is there anything we missed before we go? Yes? Oh, okay. We had something right before I, we leave here. We had some breaking baseball news, which I feel like I haven't talked about in a couple episodes. And it's some pretty significant one, especially for Yankees fans. Araldis Chapman is no longer a New York Yankee. It's 100% confirmed now. Two Yankees legends have been gone today. But Araldis Chapman signs a one-year, $3.75 million deal with the Kansas City Royals. First reported by Mark Feinstein. Interesting one. I hate to say it. Because I know he ended on bad terms with the Yankees. But Araldis Chapman was one of my favorite Yankees of the past 5-10 years. I really enjoyed him. When he was on, he was on. The best reliever in baseball for a while. <sighs> I don't know. Good for uh, Good for Chapman. Some other news, Rymel Tapia is on a minor league deal to the Red Sox. The Red Sox making another weird move to kind of secure a basement dweller. And former Yankees legend Ronald Guzman signs a minor league contract to join the San Francisco Giants. All right, cool. Anyways, I think that's it for us. For good. If you want my bet of the week, Jaguars cover. That's my bet of the week. And I believe those who did ETN anytime touchdown got spurned by it last week. ETN anytime touchdown will happen this week. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Nick's World of Sports, episode 51. We will 110% be back on Tuesday in the studio reporting and doing some more NFL breakdowns. We'll do instead of this time. I know I promised top 10 running backs, I believe, this time around. We'll do running backs and wide receivers. And we'll get into some more topics. We'll talk more basketball. But football is kind of dominating the headlines right now, as it should. And we'll keep talking football until Super Bowl Sunday has concluded. Thank you for your time, everyone. My name is Nick Sapola, and I'll catch you in Episode 52. Peace.